up here. Mark chapter 3 this morning, if you'll take your Bibles and go there. How many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus? Amen. Um, another, I looked down while Miss Jill was up here as well. I'm sitting back there and I looked down and I thought, I know that I had a handkerchief in my coat this morning. And so I realized that um, when I went to my office, I put on the wrong suit. So everything is wrong this morning. I went back and got the right one that actually matches my pants. But um, I'm just glad to be here. How about you? Well, Mark chapter 3, for those of you that are, are new or haven't been with us on Sunday mornings, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we have entitled this series, Following Jesus. In chapter 1, we looked at the authority of Jesus on display. Uh, in chapter 2, we looked at the availability of Jesus and how he made himself available to those that no one else had time for. And then last week, we looked at the answers of Genesis, <laughs> answers of Genesis, the answers of Jesus <laughs> in the ending of chapter 2 into chapter 3 and verse 6. Lord, help us to get through this morning. Um, remember that Jesus was answering uh, the Pharisees, the condemning questions of the Pharisees. Why do your disciples not fast? Why are your disciples walking through the cornfield, eating uh, corn on the Sabbath day? And why are you healing a man's hand on the Sabbath? And we talked about their elevation of man-made religion, their, their elevation of man-made regulations and rituals that kept them from accepting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so... Since we all know that spending an entire day with Pharisees can wear you out, Jesus goes to the seaside for a little quiet time away. And that's where we pick up in verse number 7. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, let's stand together and begin reading in verse number 7. We'll go down through verse number 19. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Udemia, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng crowd or crowd him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they had pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain, and called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be sent with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. And he surnamed them Bonerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Father, as we come to you again this morning, 
We pray, God, that your spirit would speak to us through your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to say all that you would have us to say and, and nothing more than that. We pray, God, that you will encourage us today in your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, again, as we are reminded of your sovereign plan throughout the ages to get the gospel to the world, and we praise you and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be challenged as well, to set aside excuses, Lord, for not doing all that you have called us to do, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in our time together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we see, Jesus' getaway to the sea did not last very long because a great multitude has followed him. And news of all that Jesus was doing, it was spreading, it was spreading throughout the region. And more and more people now are coming to experience Jesus. You can get kind of a sense of what Jesus is experiencing by noticing the verbs that describe the action that's going on around him. Look at it in verse number seven. It said, the great multitudes followed him. Verse number eight, the great multitudes came unto him. Verse nine, the disciples are preparing a ship because the people were crowding him. Verse number 10, the sick pressed upon him to touch him. Verse number 11, unclean spirits fell before him and cried. So the fame of Jesus is spreading. People are coming to him, uh, unfortunately, not, be, not to really hear his teaching, but to experience his healing power. And we see in our text today that there are really two scenes. There is a scene by the seaside in verses 7 through 12, and then there is a scene, a scene by the mountainside in verses 13 through 19. It's obvious that the impact of Jesus Christ has been substantial and and it is important to remember that this account of the masses that are following Jesus, wanting to be with Jesus and, and trying to get to him, it comes right after the passage where the Pharisees and the religious elite hated him and wanted nothing to do, do with him. We, we see now that there are masses of people that are coming to him and, and yet the Pharisees have made an alliance with people that they don't even like to try to have Jesus killed. It's amusing to me that those that were so stuck on obeying the letter of the law wanted to have Jesus Christ killed, wanted to murder Jesus Christ. But Jesus goes on and no doubt angers the Pharisees even more by what we're going to look at this morning, and that is the selection of his team. Who does Jesus choose to be on his team, thus to take the gospel beyond him? He did not choose not one long-bearded, expensive, robe-wearing Pharisee, not one of them. Instead, he chooses this team of 12 very ordinary misfits. And maybe you see yourself as just an ordinary person, just a simple person. I want you to be encouraged this morning that Jesus did not choose the most intellectual. He did not choose the highest on the religious plateau. He chose very simple men, very ordinary men. 
It's astounding also to me to see that the unclean spirits had enough sense in verse number 11 to fall down before Jesus and recognize him for who he really was, that he was indeed the son of God. But the Pharisees could not see that. Don't forget that the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record these gospels for one reason, that we would come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God. Remember, John wrote in his gospel in John 20, verse 31, but these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have eternal life through his name. Because if you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you cannot have eternal life through his name. But we see in the gospels that even though the unclean spirits recognize this fact, The religious did not. In fact, most did not while Jesus was here. You know, finally, in Mark chapter 15, at the very end of Mark's gospel, we see one of the soldiers that was assigned to crucify him acknowledge this. Do you remember Mark chapter 18, verse 39? And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. But by and large, most of the people and certainly the religious elite of the day, those that were stuck in the false religion of Judaism that was completely works-based, you know, there's either two, two types of religions in the world, the do religion or the done religion. Those that are counting on what they do to have eternal life And those who are counting on what Jesus Christ has already done. And so we we see that here. That there's so many who during his life did not recognize him as the son of God. And so here is Jesus now. And he's on the mountainside. And he chooses a group of men that he is going to train. He is going to teach them. And then he is going to commission them to carry on his mission after he is gone. Now, when we think about the 12 apostles, typically if you have any kind of background in the church or especially the background, a background in the Catholic church or the Anglican church or you've been to, to Europe and you've visited cathedrals, you have seen the stained glass apostles. How many of you have seen the stained glass with the apostles? They're typically place somewhere somewhere there just underneath God or just underneath Jesus Christ in a in a place of elevation because the assumption in a lot of people's minds is that these are the highest and the best and the classiest and the most religiously ascended and yet nothing could be further from the truth in fact Jesus chose 12 men that no doubt the business world you said you're going to build a, a worldwide mission, organization on these 12 men, they would have laughed you to scorn. No doubt the religious laughed at the selection of Jesus Christ. In other words, these men, they were not in Galilee High School's list of most likely to succeed. Someone has written a fictitious memo from quote-unquote, the Jordan Management 
consultants. Listen, it says, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have selected for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have run the results through our computer. It is our staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of work that you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to an offensive temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. Brothers James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above organizational loyalty. Frankly, they're mama's boys. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to uh, undetermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by our Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus have definite leanings toward the radical and register high on the manic depressive scale. But one of the candidates does, however, show great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. He has a keen business mind. He's highly motivated, as well as ambitious and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. And that's probably not too far from the truth of what the general consensus was of those in that day. But I want us to focus the rest of our time this morning on verses 14 through 19. And I want you to notice and maybe mark in your Bible three phrases in verse number 14 that we're going to kind of center on this morning. First of all is the phrase, with him. He says he has ordained 12 that they should be with him. And then I want you to mark the phrase, send them. He says, I've ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them. And then I want you to mark the phrase to preach. We're going to focus on those three little phrases this morning. First of all, I want you to notice that these men were called to be with Jesus. With him. Don't miss this. Because it was the intimacy of their companionship with Jesus Christ that provided the basis for their proclamation and for their mission. It was so important that they spend this time with Jesus. In order for these 12 ordinary men to accomplish the massive task that God had called them to accomplish, they were going to need to be with Jesus. To see his example, to be trained by him, to know his heart, to fellowship with him, to watch him pray. And let me just say this morning that there is no possible way to bypass intimacy with Jesus Christ as the foundation of living for him and serving him. This is the difference between the Pharisees. They wanted to serve God For their own purpose. They wanted to serve God without a real relationship with him. It was all external. And by the way, thousands of years later, we still have people who fill churches, who look religious, but they have no kind of relationship or fellowship with Jesus Christ. These men became the friends of Jesus. They became intimate with him. They 
They, uh, Jesus called them to be his disciples. The word disciple means learner. And so the process of discipleship was one that was filled with purpose. Jesus Christ, he wanted to instill into these men his character because they were not only to be with him, they were going to be representatives of him. And so from this point on, they're with Jesus 24 hours a day, watching him talk to God. Can you imagine being there to watch Jesus Christ pray, to listen to him teach, to follow him from town to town, uh, making note of how he ministered to people, how he took time for individuals, seeing how he dealt with his critics as we saw last week. They were called to be with him, to learn him. This wasn't just a, a lunch date. This wasn't just a A lunch appointment, this was a call to be with him, to know him intimately, to fellowship with him. These were the men, them and their associates, that would record for you and I the scriptures, the gospels. They would write down for us so that we could learn from him as well. Listen, Christian, if you and I are going to be what God wants us to be as worthy ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and I think if I ask this morning, raise your hand if you want to be a proper representative of Jesus Christ. Most of us would raise our hand this morning because that is the desire of our heart. But if we are going to be a worthy ambassador of Jesus Christ, then we are going to have to be with him, with him. We're going to have to spend time with him. We're going to have to be in his word. We're going to have to be with him in prayer. The Bible says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let it be a part of you. Give yourself to it. Hide his word in your heart that you may not sin against God. Find yourself a prayer closet where you meet him daily. Communicate with him all throughout the day in an ongoing conversation. It is our intimacy and our closeness with Jesus that reminds us to say no to our human desires to sin. James says this in James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. By the way, that's a promise. You get close to God, you take a step to God, guess what? He's going to take a step to you. Take another step to God, he's going to take a step to you, towards you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. It reminds me of the old couple that was driving in their truck, and uh, the wife sitting over there on the other side, looked at her husband and she said, honey, do you remember 30 years ago when we were riding down these same country roads, but we were sitting right next to each other, so close. How many of you, I don't want to, we called it, well, I won't say what we used to call it, call it redneck style when I was a teenager, but you know, right in the middle. And the, the husband just looked at her and said, I'm in the same place I've always been. It was her that had moved. And so many times in our life, it is us who has moved further away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're there this morning and you need to take a step uh, near Christ. Draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to you. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
First Peter 2.21, Peter writes, For even here in two where you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Listen, if God has called you to salvation, if he's called us to salvation, then he has also called us to a life of surrendered service. And in order to be the husband or the wife or the child or the grandparent or the employer or the witness that God has called us to be, first of all, we are going to have to be with Jesus. Would you say those two words with me? With Jesus. With him. With him. The second thing that we see, not only were they called to be with him, but they were commissioned by him. They were commissioned by him. He ordained 12 that they should be with him for this purpose, that he might send them forth. You see, when we are daily engaged in intimate fellowship with God, with Jesus, then and only then, then and only then, are we really ready to effectively invite others to do the same. When you think about the text that we were in last week and Jesus' strong words of condemnation on Judaism, the Pharisees, and the religious elite, and then you look at the text today where he's choosing these 12 men, it is obvious that the choosing and the commissioning of the 12 was a judgment on Israel's corrupt religious leadership. This was another slap in the face to the religious elite of the day. If you look at Luke chapter 22 for just a moment, uh, it adds some clarity to this truth. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this in verse number 29, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, speaking to his, his apostles, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Why were there 12 of them? Because they were given the responsibility, as it were, over each of the the tribes of Israel. That's why when Judas defects and goes away, they choose another one. The, The 12 was there for a purpose. They constitute the new spiritual leadership of Israel chosen by Jesus. An unmistakable message is sent to the nation of Israel by Jesus. That their corrupt spiritual leadership to which they have been subjected to, is rejected by God. And with the coming of the Messiah comes a new covenant. And with the coming of a new covenant comes new leadership. And these 12 men are the, the founding leadership of the Great Commission to go to all the world and preach the gospel. In fact, Paul writes this about them in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. He's speaking of the church here. And he says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, it was these 12 ordinary misfits that are the divinely selected, approved representatives of Christ sent to preach the covenant of salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation. Once under the old covenant, it was the 12 tribes Now it is Jesus Christ and the 12 apostles, and they are going to be the preachers. They started out as learners with Jesus, and then they're sent out to be his messengers. And this is 
why, by the way, that we are very intentional about discipleship because this is what Jesus modeled. Jesus modeled discipleship. He, he modeled bringing people along in their faith. Because Jesus did it, we should do it. They were called to be with Jesus. They were commissioned by Jesus. And then notice, lastly, they were chosen for Jesus. They were not chosen for themselves. They were not chosen to make a name for themselves. They were chosen for Jesus. Notice it says that he might send them forth what? To preach. To preach what? To preach their own gospel? To preach their own message? Absolutely not. To preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice that the first thing that he sends them forth to do before anything else, before healing, before casting out demons, the first thing he sends them out to do is to preach the gospel. Why? Because keeping people out of hospitals is important, but it's not near as important as keeping people out of hell. The preaching is paramount. We still live in a spiritual environment today where much of the emphasis is on the physical. It's on the healing. That's why if you announce a healing crusade, you can get masses. But if you announce a preaching meeting, you'll you'll be good to get a third of the church there. Right? It's still our human tendency, apart from God, to to focus on the physical. It's It's why... Every year in the United States, $4.3 trillion is spent in health care. I didn't say million and I didn't say billion. I said trillion. $418 billion that is given through religious institutions. And that's a very broad stroke. Because the body, the temporary is still very much the focus. These men, they were not called for themselves. They were not to write books about their own works. They were not promoting the kingdom of Peter or the, or the kingdom of John. They were sent to preach the kingdom of God and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God chose not 12 religious leaders who had elevated tradition and rituals over all else, Instead, he chooses these 12 ordinary misfits. Why? Why did he choose these kind of guys? So that at the end of the day, no one would look and say, what impressive men. But what an impressive Messiah. What an impressive Jesus Christ. I mean, look at this. These 12 guys, how in the world? These are not the cream of the crop. They're not the highest. They're not the noblest. They're not the best. They're not the most educated. They're not the most highly skilled and the most gifted, humanly speaking. In fact, as we study them, what do we learn about them? They're prone to mistakes. They're prone to misjudgments. They're they're prone to misunderstandings. They argue with one another. Some of them have really bad attitudes, like some of us. Some of them uh, have lapses of faith, like us. Some of them have bitter failure, like us. 
And Jesus says, this is the group I'm going to take. They were incredibly diverse. They spanned the political spectrum from tax collectors who would collect tax from the Romans all the way to the zealots who were, were, were dead set to destroy the Romans from both sets. And then you throw in a few fishermen and a few farmers and you think, how are these guys going to do anything? Out of the many disciples that followed Jesus, this was, the gro- this was the group that he chose. Let me just say to us, be careful before you make judgments of who God can, will, won't use. Because God takes great pleasure in using the weak. God takes great pleasure in taking ordinary people for his cause. I know some of you are looking at your clock, but I'm going to remind you, we do not have evening service. This is the only chance I get today. You think about this, Jesus already knew all about their failures and their faults before he chose them. He even even knew Judas. He even knew what Judas was going to do, and yet he gives him the same privileges, the same blessings, the same opportunities that he gave the others. And what's Jesus doing? What, what, what statement is he trying to make? I'll tell you what he's very clearly trying to make a statement to Israel and especially to the religious elite in Israel. It's not about your power, and it's not about your personality. The power isn't in your personality. The power, religious elite, it's not in your positions. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will take 12 very simple men who the world would look at and say, no way. And I will get the gospel to the ends of the earth. You say, what was plan B if these guys messed up? Where's the B team in here? There is none. There is no plan B. There's no second string. And you know the story that Jesus dies on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He spends 40 days back on the earth. And then he ascends up into heaven, Acts chapter 1. And when he does, he commissions these men to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And what happens? Peter stands up and preaches at at Pentecost and thousands are saved. And then a few weeks later, 5,000 more or, or more are saved. And all of a sudden, the gospel begins to spread. And guess what? It's still going strong today. And it will until the end of time. It will until Jesus comes back. How could this happen with such ordinary men? And I'll wind it down with this. I think Paul explains it to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you look there in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 1, he says, listen in verse number 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is what? The power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world by taking these 12 men and turning the world upside down? Yes, he did. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God Notice, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You say, wouldn't something else be more of a draw to people to get people in, to get them here? Isn't there other things besides preaching and teaching? I mean, if we really kind of emphasized other things, we could probably draw a bigger crowd. Let me remind you that the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God stand on very opposite directions. And Jesus says, I have chosen, yeah, what sounds like foolishness to the world, I've chosen that, to use that to bring people to faith in Christ. And we see it all throughout Acts, don't we? So you won't find the scribes and the Pharisees among the 12 leading this new movement called the church. It is these 12 ordinary men who only have one mission. It's not to, make, uh, it's not to draw the attention to themselves. It is to, to, to cause people to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and I'm thankful it doesn't say not any, because God does use some intellectuals. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why? Because it's for him. So that he can get the glory. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to not things that are? Notice, here's the reason why, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Which is why Jesus chose 12 ordinary misfits to turn the world upside down. You remember in Acts when Peter and the apostles are preaching, they're ministering, and the elite of Israel look at them and they say in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were not very smart guys, they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them. Notice, here it is, back to point one. That they had been, what? With Jesus. This was not something that they could have done without God. Therefore, Jesus must be God. Because when he said that he forgives sins, he was claiming to be God. Listen, Jesus was always going to be the explanation. It was never going to be about these simple guys. They were laymen. They were faithful laborers. Remember what John says. John says in John 3.30, he must increase and I must what? 
decrease. They were simple in every way, and yet this is their testimony. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, talking about the apostles. These apostles, they have turned the world upside down. That was their testimony. As common as they were, they were given the highest calling. They were given the highest commission. And as believers today, listen, we stand in their heritage. And that's what I want you to see today. That this commission that they were given has been given to us. The great commission to carry the gospel to the ends of the world. Let me close with just a word about Judas Iscariot. It's the last Name mentioned here, he's the last in all the lists that are mentioned in the Gospels. Judas is perhaps the saddest story in all the Bible. Judas was a man who had a great privilege to, for 24 hours a day, be very close to Jesus. To see all the miracles... And yet he rejected and betrayed him. A massive forfeiture of privilege. And by the way, extreme eternal punishment for his rejection. Here's what the last two chapters have revealed to us. Mark chapter 2 and 3 especially. It doesn't matter that you know a lot about God. If you don't know him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way to have a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you today, do you know him? Do you know him? Have you put your faith in him as the Messiah? Because the Bible is very clear. Neither is there salvation in any other. It is through Jesus alone. Christian, let me ask you this morning, are you with him? Maybe you're saved, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but are you with him? Are you learning from him? Are you in his word? Are you a person of prayer who walks and talks daily with Jesus? Are you with him? Are you fulfilling the commission that he has sent you to fulfill As we said last week, who's your one? Who are the ones you're praying for this year? Who are the ones that God's put in your sphere of influence? Right now, last week, God began to bring names to your heart. Are you praying for them? Because listen, you are, if you are a Christian, you have called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and a witness for him. Can't escape that. And you can't blame it and put it off on anything else. Because the power is not in our personality or in our position. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You shall be my witnesses. It's not a suggestion, church. It's a command. And then, are you for him in his glory? In all that you do, are you trying to point people to the glory of God? Because that's why we exist. For the glory of God. It's not about us. We're just simple people here for a short time with one mission, point people to God, point people to Jesus Christ. 
Point people to faith in him. The question is not, are you a religious scholar or do you have all the head knowledge? Do you know all the verses? The question is, are you humanly weak enough? Are you ordinary enough that he can use you and still get the glory? Listen, stop using excuses. I'm too simple. I'm just, I'm just a nobody. I'm just ordinary. Then you're a perfect candidate for God to use. That no flesh should glory in his presence. So we say, I surrender my life to you, Lord. I surrender my lips to you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be your witnesses. I'm going to give out these cards that you're talking about. I'm going to invite people to church. Because listen, if you're not to the point yet where you feel real comfortable sharing the gospel, anybody in here can invite somebody to church where they can hear the gospel. And we are, all are given that responsibility. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've been religious or maybe you haven't. I want to remind you today that there's only one way. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to eternal life with God. According to the scriptures, it's either heaven or hell. Life with God in heaven or life without God in hell. And it all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that. It's what God said. And we invite you today, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, we invite you today to come to Jesus. He invites you today. He wants to be your Savior. And Christian, may we determine today that we are going to be with him, we are going to be sent by him, and we are for him and for his glory. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for using simple, ordinary people. And God, I pray for anyone here today that does not know you, they've never began a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, faith in him alone. We pray that today would be that day that they come to faith in you. Pray that right now the Holy Spirit would draw them to you. Pray, Lord, that they would respond to that drawing, whether they're watching or whether they're here. We pray that today will be the day of their salvation. And we pray for us, God. This gospel of Mark has taught me a lot of things in just studying and preparing to preach it and teach it. And Lord, today we're reminded that we are responsible, we're accountable, we're to be with you We're to be with you. We're to to be sent by you with the message of Jesus Christ to be your witnesses. And we are not here for ourselves. We are here for you and for your glory. So I pray that you will help us to make a recommitment to that again today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.